Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Hi, everybody. It's Bob Vetter here. Before we get started, and just in case you have to get off this podcast early, if you'd like to get underway with your own healing and clear away any energetic blockages, you can get on a free call with me. Go to HealWithBob.com. Welcome back, listeners. I'm here today for interview part three with Richard Groves, who has had some amazing stories for us about uh, dealing with death, about working with people with death, about looking at the soul wound and soul healing surrounding death. And today, Richard, welcome back, first of all, to our show. And Thank today, you, Bob. welcome. I, today, I'd like to hear a little more about the work that you're doing today, about your institute and exactly what you do. Yes, thank you uh, for the privilege of being able to <clears throat> share a bit of this with your listeners. I'd say maybe the biggest uh, uh, surprise has been over 25 years to watch how Sacred Art of Living has morphed from being primarily an education and training center for end-of-life practitioners we certainly still do that uh, to a certain extent. We interface with hospices and, and palliative care um, teams. But I would say 80% of people now who attend our courses and trainings are not specifically dealing with end of life in a professional way. Uh, these are general public uh, people who I would call seekers. Uh, they're at an age in life or a stage in life because of life experience where they've had to deal with death, loss, or they're dealing with terminal illness in a, in a significant person in their life. Maybe they are on the other side of loss. They're dealing with grief. Um, and maybe just they're in a culture where they feel they don't have language to talk about these important things. Uh, it's interesting. One of the retreats I love giving is to, is to ministers. Because I find very, very often they don't, within their traditions, have much training in this regard at all. Just as doctors, ironically, don't have much training. And end of life care. It's 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 ironic, isn't it, that the professions that you think most would be trained often are not. So the vast majority of people are accessing um, a couple of different courses. And I don't know if if you'll give our website information here later. We uh, absolutely that, will. Yeah. Sure. Okay, I appreciate that. But if people go to that website, they'll see sort of uh, three main things that we do. One is a course called Healing the Healers, uh, the Art of Living and Dying. And so much of what I've talked about in this series is about that. And it's a four-part training series that we do in different parts of the world. Uh, because of COVID, we're doing many of these courses virtually now. And um, we have training teams, as I say, in different parts of the world. And we welcome anyone to participate in that. If nothing else, if you're a human being, you'll benefit from this because sooner or later, you know, we're all going to deal with questions of mortality and everything else related to it. I often say that these courses, far from being morose and depressing, are life-giving, that uh, the dying are our teachers, and they teach us how to live uh, uh, with greater purpose and meaning, and that that's what people often, often find from, from those workshops. 
Um, a second level course is called The Soul and Science of Caregiving. And this is an online virtual encyclopedia and anybody can go there. There's all kinds of samples of free videos from I think some of the best teachers around the world teaching on these subjects. And um, you can also uh, very affordably buy a year subscription for yourself or for an organization. And uh, they're five minute teachings, very easy to use in a clinical or personal setting. And then it's an encyclopedia. It takes you to links of every kind of practice and experience that you could have related to what's taught there. So uh, anything in the English language that's been published around some of these topics is there on our website. And I would just say, I'd like to really promote it because for people who are just out there by themselves and maybe at a loss what to do, um, you can just simply go there and with your iPhone, you know, you can listen to five minutes on depression or something that might be a perfect kind of thing for a family member uh, to listen to and it's, it's a, very supportive. So, so the soul and science, again, it's always science. We want to base this stuff in what you can test, what is valid and safe and, um, and clinically effective together with the soul, which I mean the, the aspect of this work that is aspirational. And by that, I don't mean religious. I don't mean we, we are very, very inclusive of every um, spiritual path. And the last program that we, we uh, offer is our deep, deep end program called the Anamkara Apprenticeship. And Anamkara, that's an old Irish term that means soul friendship. Um, it is our exploration of 30 years around a, a brilliant wisdom tradition from Europe's oldest Aboriginal people, the Celts, who... Um, have something to offer our modern world in terms of how to be with pain and suffering that is remarkable. And I have school teachers who are working with young kids who take this course. I have carpenters who are working with construction crews. We have people from every background in life. We have attorneys and real estate agents and doctors and nurses and grandparents who become Anamkara. And during that apprenticeship, they are mentored one-on-one, -on -one, I think with some of the great people on our planet who teach about this uh, wisdom tradition of the art of living and dying. So that's what our work is about. And really pretty consistently, that's what we've been doing for 25 years. Um, because of my age, uh, I'm a realist, I won't be around forever. So my energy these days is in trying to really train the next generation and to make sure that if tomorrow I wasn't able to continue uh, to teach, that uh, my voice can continue and not just my personal voice, but really all the wisdom of this work can be passed on and codified. So that's, uh, that's where I put a lot of my energy these days. Beautiful. I, I wanna just ask one question that, that um, kind of goes back a little bit, but it also ties into the work that you're doing now. And that has to do with where the understanding of the Celtic wisdom comes from. In other words, I know that, that you began this work by going into these thousand year old documents and, and looking through them. And I, I'm thinking of that as kind of a hermeneutic process. If I, if I get what you're saying correctly, that by the time those books were written, there already was this synthesis that came out of a Celtic model of the world that somehow combined with 
Christianity, uh, Catholicism in some way to produce something that had the original spirit of this Celtic wisdom. Do I have that correct? Yeah, no, I think you do. I think like any Aboriginal tradition, the original tradition was not set in writing. It was an oral tradition. And I think the ancient Celts knew, like our First Nations peoples know, that the minute you start recording it and setting it down, it loses some of its power. It becomes uh, fossilized. So the Celts never, they would have been horrified at thinking about writing books. What they did is they brought their influence into Europe and they learned about one of the gifts they said of, of interfacing with the Europeans was the gift of parchment and, and writing. And so others who didn't understand their tradition from the inside began to write down carefully all of their great quotes and teachings and eventually then created this thing called the Celtic Book of Living and Dying. But it was a living oral tradition for centuries. And you're right, it has to be parsed. Uh, it has to be set in the context of its time, like anything. We don't live in the sixth century. So we don't live in a homogenous society. We live in a very diverse society. So our approach is not to say, okay, let's everybody just quit everything and become a Celt. That's, that's not it. But it is interesting if you do study the origin of the Celts, we know now because of DNA studies that they, their trek began in India 4,000 years ago. And that these were original wanderers and they brought their gurus with them, their shaman with them, who became the Druids. And as they made their trek across Asia Minor, uh, they always stayed outside of cities. They hated big towns. They, they, they just liked to live in nature. And they moved across Switzerland and into France and Spain and eventually got pushed into the Celtic lands. And I think one of the bits of wisdom that maybe makes their teaching so universal for us today is that the Celts were adept at taking on whatever it was from whatever culture they dwelled in, from India clear over through Europe, but they made it their own. Uh, they weren't afraid to appropriate. Um, they had a worldview and they were very um, faithful to its principles, like always lean into the pain. That's a, that's a Celtic teaching. But wherever they found any wisdom that supported that or a tool or practice, for example, they hung out in Egypt for a long time, uh, the place where the Egyptian book of the dead was written. And what did they find? They found the use of the harp. Uh, the, the Celts didn't invent the harp, the Egyptians did. And they found the use of music modalities uh, to be very, very useful in helping match a person's mood. Mode and mood of music are the, come from the same word. And they began to use uh, bardic poetry and music as a kind of therapy for supporting a person in whatever stage of suffering they were in. Well, they got that out of Egypt and then they brought it with them. And then, you know, now we, we identify the, the harp as the symbol of Ireland, but really, if you go back far enough, it's something that this tradition uh, seems to have been one of the rare traditions on the planet that kind of went everywhere. <laughs> and in doing so, of course, they were persecuted too. You know, the Roman church came in and just tried to choke the life out of this. They didn't trust it. They felt that Celtic spirituality was suspicious. Uh, men and women were equal. That was horrifying to the Europeans. Um, but 
you know, even under centuries of, of, of having it being forbidden, today there's a whole renaissance of this in the uh, Outer Hebrides of Scotland and the west of Ireland with the rebirth of those Celtic languages. Scratch the surface and all this Celtic stuff is still there. It's still there. And I think it's being reborn today through great Celtic teachers and scholars and poets. So. I, I'm really impressed by how you were able to do this process of digging through this material and somehow draw all of this out of it. I, as we get close to the, the close of our session, can you just tell me a little bit about how you did it? Well, you don't do it by yourself. You know, you, you, you trip and you fall and you stumble into things. And uh, just one little story. So <clears throat> we had these uh, access to thousands. We photographed them of these parchments, these manuscripts from these hospices. And it was the little chart notes in the marginalia of, of the pages that fascinated us because often that's where the real human insight was. And some of those notes were clearly not written in Latin and everything in the 11th century is written in Latin. So it set us searching and we found uh, Sean Odin uh, in Glenstall Abbey in the west of Ireland, who was a, a Celtic scholar, really a national treasure. Spent a lot of time with him, did interviews, film interviews, uh, just you wanted to sit at the feet of somebody who could look at that and translate that, not just the words of it, but he would just well up with tears. And one story I'll just end with. He, I showed him one of, the, one of the texts and he says, oh, he says, the story behind this is brilliant. And of course the Celts go off into their stories. And he's talking about a, an old man who in the West of Ireland is dying. And he's a very, very famous poet, man, everybody knows him. And uh, so the local parish priest comes to offer him the last rites. And then he, he, he receives that. And he leaves and then uh, Father Sean comes in. And uh, now the story gets mushy here, whether it was Sean literally or an old man who came in who was a friend that told Sean. But anyway, the story was, he says, you know, he says, uh, I received the last rites, so it's wonderful. But he says, I look out my window there and he says, you see that hill out there? He says, that's the hill of the God Brown. The God Brown, I'm talking about gods, Celtic gods. <laughs> and this man who's, who's been <laughs> immersed in Celtic uh, Catholicism for centuries, he's talking about the God Brown. He says, you know, he says, when I die, he says, I think I'm going to go to Brown's house. That's the place I'm going to go. And he started, and Sean O'Din, in his, in his monk's, Catholic monk's habit, starts crying. And he says, you see, you can't lose it. You can't suffocate it. There was something here that morphed over the years and the people keep it alive. And he said, the fact that today there's a Renaissance, he says, I think there's a Renaissance in Celtic spirituality because it is deeply ecological, because it's deeply interfaith, because it's deeply inclusive and utterly non-judgmental. There is no such thing as hell in Celtic spirituality. They had other ways to explain bad doers, but there was no such thing as permanent perpetual punishment. They couldn't imagine a God who could do that. And all of that underscores 
the spirituality of this Anamkara tradition. So at the end of life, when you're with a person who's suffering because they're afraid of what they've done, you know, they're doing their life review as seems to be universal. Imagine what it's like to have a soul friend there holding your hand. It's not by what you say. Soul recognizes soul. You're in the presence of someone who's safety. And in that safe shelter, you're able to pass without any fear, any judgment, and any regret. That's why I think this work's so important. That is so beautiful, Richard. And, and that, that'll bring us close to our, our closing. Um, I'd like to ask you to, to tell our listeners, how can they get a hold of you? How, what books can they read? What's your website? Whatever the contact information is for our listeners. Great. So the simplest is just the website is sacredartartofliving.org. And uh, if you go there, you'll find my book, The American Book of Living and Dying. You'll find in the homepage an hour-long public broadcast film on more of the background to this history if you're interested in it. You'll find uh, access to all of our courses worldwide. And uh, yeah, so I think that's probably just the easiest. There's phone numbers there. And we would just love to hear from uh, any of your listeners if this uh, uh, interests them. Richard Groves, thank you so much for our three interviews together. And we've covered an incredible amount of ground and really inspirational teachings and work. So thank you for being with us. Welcome. Thank you very much, Bob, for the work you do too. Much appreciated. And thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you're a very spiritual person who just needs a little help clearing away what's been holding you back, through some relatively quick healing techniques, get on my calendar for a free call. Go to healwithbob.com. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.